I think the biggest reason why it's hard to set boundaries is because we're afraid to lose somebody we care about. And so at the core of all of us is this innate desire to connect. And what happens through that deprivation that I touched on earlier is we create and manufacture ways to connect ways that like people pleasing and codependency and performing and being this person to other people that we're really not created to be. And so setting boundaries means setting down those behaviors that no longer serve who we are and our relationships. We get this temporary payoff when we are a people pleaser or when we're codependent because we get that instant gratification of staying connected with people we care about. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. In this episode, I interview Courtney Berg about her book, Loyal to a Fault, How to Establish New Patterns When Loving Others Has Left You Hurting. Courtney shares her personal journey of overcoming codependency and establishing healthier patterns of behavior. She discusses the importance of assessing past experiences and taking inventory of inherited patterns. Courtney also emphasizes the significance of setting boundaries and the fear and challenges that come with it. People-pleasing, complaining, and exhaustion may be the norm, but at any moment, you can choose to do things differently, and today's episode is a great place to start. But before we get there, I want to quickly share my minimalist moment of the week with you. Being that it's December, I'm sure a lot of you are going to your kids' holiday performances. I'll be completely transparent with you and say that this isn't my very favorite thing to do. However, I recently saw a reel on Instagram of how important it is for us to show up for our kids. It was this video of kids lighting up when they saw their parents at sporting events, school plays, any kind of performances. It really does make a difference that we show up and are there even if it's not our favorite thing to do. And hey, I'm not saying that it's not cute to watch them on stage. I'm just saying for five minutes of a 60 minute program, it can drag on a little bit. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so anyways, I have my son's performance coming up, and in the email I received, it stated that he needed to wear a white shirt and khakis. Well, for this particular child, I've really never put him in white because it wouldn't stay white for long. So I contemplated sending a shirt here from Amazon, and then I realized, oh, I have a friend that has a son of similar size. I'm gonna reach out to her. I shot her a text, asked if she had any white shirts I could borrow just for the evening. And she did. So I'm able to borrow a shirt from a friend, not have to spend unnecessary money for something that he's probably just going to wear for the one event and just seemed unnecessary to me. So the takeaway is if there's something that you can borrow instead of buying, and maybe that's my frugal side coming into play, but I also just think it's an easy, sustainable choice to make. So I'd love to hear from you. Do you enjoy going to your child's holidays, school performances, really their school performances in general. Do you prioritize borrow over buying? And if so, what have you done? I love to know your thoughts. I will try to make a post about this on Instagram so you can leave your thoughts there. And then lastly, if you haven't left a rating and review on iTunes yet, please do so. It only takes 30 seconds and it's a great way for others to find the podcast. Like I said last week, consider it an early Christmas present to me. All right, and with that, let's get into this conversation with Courtney Berg. Well, Courtney, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Thanks, Diane. It's so great to be here. Absolutely. I cannot wait to talk about your book. It's called Loyal to a Fault, How to Establish New Patterns When Loving Others Has Left You Hurting. I think this book is incredibly applicable to a lot of people that I know right now. So hopefully it's applicable to listeners as well. But before we get into our conversation, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes. uh, So I'm Courtney. 
as you said, I live in South Florida with my husband. We've been married, gosh, almost 10 years now, and we have uh, four little kids. I don't know how long I can call them little for. They're eight, six, and then we have twin three-year-olds. So some littles, some some getting older, but um, they're a lot of fun, a lot of work and a lot of fun. <laughs> and yeah, I'm a writer. I'm a coach. You know, now I'm kind of this coach that helps women learn how to set boundaries and uh, establish some more peace and confidence in their life. And as you said, I've got this new book coming out, which I'm really excited to chat about. So thanks for having me. Yeah. And before we get into the book, I'm curious how this became something that you were interested in doing, because again, this book is about looking to patterns that we are continuing that may be rooted in our past trauma or past experience. I'm curious why this is personal to you. Sure. I think, I mean, every author, right, has a why or something burdening their heart. But I, I, my undergrad is in psychology. So I have a background in kind of human behavior and why we do what we do from a kind of a brain science point of view. And that was always fascinating to me. I'm also a Christian, so I'm a believer. And I was struggling to kind of bridge the gap between this like science and scripture thing. And in that process, uh, you know, I began to look at my own patterns of, of behavior in my life. And I realized I was extremely codependent. I grew up in a family that had struggled with addiction and, um, and as a as a Christian, I, I was Catholic at the time. I felt this responsibility to guard my family and to guard our secrets, and then also um, through that began to cope in ways that were unhealthy. And I thought once I grew up that that those patterns kind of were left behind, but they weren't. And so I found myself newly married, newly sober, a new mom, and I was like in a mess. And I thought, how do I get out of this? And that's really what. The book is about is that process of kind of untangling myself from a lot of the patterns that I had inherited around what it looks like to be a loving, you know, wife or mother or sister or friend. And uh, I began to challenge that and, you know, uh, replace it with healthier patterns of behavior that that have really been monumental in the way I kind of set up my life now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you talk about how for you remaining loyal meant keeping secrets, even if the secrets were keeping you sick. I mean, we've heard it before. Secrets keep us sick, bring things into the light. And again, you don't have to be a Christian for that to be true. That's absolutely true. And we probably have some type of experience that we can relate that idea to in our lives. But it is interesting because I have the friends that have something in their past and they turn to that and say, I want nothing to do with that. I'm not going to bring that into my future. And then you have the people that repeat history. And so it's curious to me how there is such a stark difference, I guess, between two people. But at the same time, I want to go back to that first person. They might not repeat the exact same behaviors, but there might be behaviors that they're repeating somehow woven in there that they don't even realize are similar to the past. Does that make sense? It really does. And and I talk about that in the book that, you know, we struggle with for, forms, different forms of deprivation. And so I, when I was 30, gosh, 34, 35, I had my mom write me a letter for my birthday because I had gone through a couple years of detaching from them. I, I was working on my marriage and what I wanted my family to look like. And I it had gotten really out of control. And 
one of the things that I asked her to do, because I knew it kind of didn't start with me and her. And she revealed to me that that her and her own mom had struggled with their relationship. And in that, I found this common theme of deprivation. And when we're deprived of any sort of emotional, you know, um, things that we need, we think, oh, well, you know, I have a roof over my head and my kids are in a great school and, you know, we have a car and we have food and, you know, we're not like our ancestors. Um, And yet there was this deprivation. And I think that um, kind of what to, to your point we we cope in different ways. And so for some, it might not be addiction. For others, it might not be, um, you know, food or social media or whatever. But, you know, these patterns come with us. And so if, you know, the woman that you were talking about, if her parents, you know, were, you know, aggressive in nature or they separated and she's married and she's not aggressive, maybe she's passive. And so the pendulum has swung because we tend to, we either repeat what we don't repair or we overcompensate for it. And that's what I've seen in a lot of the women I work with in my membership is, you know, we're either, well, I'm so not like my parents, you know, well, no, you're not. But, you know, underreacting is just as harmful as overreacting. And so how can we begin to regulate for our marriages, for our children in this safe space, you know, mind and body? And, uh, and pass on things to our children that we can be proud of. So the third part of the book is all about legacy writing and just taking that awareness, you know, trading out these unhealthy patterns for healthier ones and then passing that down to our children so that we can be proud of that. Mm, absolutely. So for someone listening, maybe this topic is perking their interest, but they don't know where to begin. How does someone go back and maybe assess their past and take inventory of, hey, maybe this is connected to this. Where do we even start? Sure. So in in my book and in my membership, I, I onboard readers or, or my members with what's called a family of origin inventory. And what I was realizing is, and myself included, is we don't want to think back to the things that we didn't get or that the things that we wanted and didn't get. And we don't want to think about the unsafe you know, positions we might have been in as children or, you know, the, that emptiness that we all tend to carry in some capacity because that's part of the human experience. No childhood was perfect. And so we we go through a family of origin inventory and we begin to look at, you know, uh, these di- different conditionings and early scripts that we we inherited around what it means to love people, be in connection with people, you know. And so I have a, a exercise that I walk them through and it's basically uprooting any of these beliefs that we've carried around, you know, discipline, school, faith, um, boundaries, affection, because we think, oh, these things are just in the peripheral, but they're not. They're extremely powerful. And we get to decide then, okay, I have this awareness, I have this inventory, and it's like data and it's not to you know blame anybody or cast you know judgment or sit back there but it's to be you know move forward with it and we can say okay now i know what i want to carry with me moving forward and what i don't and we can implement the strategies in the book to you know replace those unhealthy beliefs and unhealthy patterns with better ones Yes, absolutely. And you will say that if someone is slighted they'll often use those same methods to slight someone else. Why do people do that? Why do we react in the same way, even though we've been slighted in that same way? 
Well, again, it's like, I swear I won't yell at my kids. I won't do what my mom did. My mom was, you know, just for an example, my mom was, or my mom was so concerned about the way she looked and her image. I'm never going to do that to my kids. You know, that's one of the examples in the book that I share. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, maybe I am a little worried about my baby having that stain on her shirt. Or maybe I am a little worried about the Christmas cards going out and nobody's dressed right or that hair is out of place. Or, you know, I, I look back and I realize my parents, you know, when they would get into arguments, I felt unsafe because, you know, one would yell at the other and then the other would just disappear for like hours or days. And I didn't know what was going on, but I couldn't put a, a name to that. And I walk, you know, I walk readers through the, the power of having healthy conflict. You know, we're so afraid to confront each other because we don't actually know how to disagree. And so, you know, you might say I'm nothing like my mom because I don't disappear for hours at a time, but instead maybe you shut down. So you might not disappear you know, in the physical form, but emotionally you're scrolling social media, you're watching Netflix and you're just like disengaged from your husband and your children. Well, guess what? They can feel that. They can feel that. And so we do tend to cope in similar ways because we just aren't equipped yet. We're not, these patterns are practiced. And so when we're modeled these patterns over and over and over again, they become a part of us. And then when we're in, in those situations, we tend to repeat it because it's, we mimic what we're raised around, regardless of what, you know, the willpower thing isn't enough. You know, this idea of good intentions is not enough. We have to practice our way out of these unhealthy patterns. I think that's the fear that every parent has with their own children is I don't want to take fill in the blank into the future, but I also have started to make peace. And maybe this is, um, maybe this is pessimism. Maybe this is pessimistic of me to say, but I also understand that most of us are just trying to do the best we can. And even when we have our best intentions, our kids are still not going to get out completely unfazed. Most of us have something from our past, from our parents that has been handed down that we're like, oh, I want to rewrite this this story here. What do you think about that? Is that a generalization? I, I mean, I think I think what you're what I hear you trying to say is like I, I there's no way for me to not partially mess up my kids. And that I think that is kind of true. You know, there's no perfectionism in parenting. And there's a part in the book again that I write about that I was struggling with. So here I had this awareness. Okay. So I'm walking myself through what I've written and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have this awareness. I don't want to do this. Well, guess what I did? I overcompensated and I started becoming like this perfectionist and this control freak because I was so afraid to hurt my kids in the ways that I was hurt. And what I realized is that, you know, love is never a byproduct of fear. I can be at peace with the fact that I'm not a perfect parent. You know, for our family, we have our faith. And so that's very important. That's an important pillar for us to, you know, to pass on to our children. And I know some of your listeners may not be, and that's okay. But I think for allowing ourselves to be human and to be flawed is such a beautiful thing. However, you know, when we decide that the life we were handed as children maybe isn't the one we want to hand off to our kids, that's powerful. That's powerful. Like little pivots go a long way. And I'm willing to do that. It's like that stone cast into a pond. I'm willing to do that. And I might not see, you know, generations after me, um, but it's still worthy work to do our part now. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not trying to generalize. I I just feel like most of my friends, even the ones who seem extremely well-adjusted, are struggling with something from their past. Again, it could be perfectionism and just the desire to succeed and do well and that pressure that we put on our kids. So I think the best thing that we can do is just start noticing, take that inventory. And uh, I think the 30s for me have been extremely transformational. Things that you think that you have worked through in your 20s, you're met with because you're facing your kids maybe getting to that age where something happened to you. And then it's just the cyclical thing where you're like, okay, now I have to go, for lack of a better phrase, do the work and and figure it out on how to not have that for her. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the most rewarding, sanctifying job in you know, when we have children, I have three girls and I was terrified because I had such a strained relationship with my mom. And then she had a strained relationship with her mom. And so having three girls and a boy, I thought, wow, I'm faced with this every single day. Uh, the triggers, the, the yuckiness inside of me, the parts of me that I don't like, the parts of me that I have to learn to forgive from my past and those around me. But, you know, that is again the human experience. We're not going to get out of this thing, you know, unscathed. It's just part of it. But I do believe that we can do it in a way that transforms us and our families. As a busy mom, I don't necessarily have time to write down an entire exercise program. And then if things get in the way, because oftentimes life gets hectic, it means I can't work out. However, my friend Eric Quorum, back on episode 286 and his friends at AIM7 have just released personalized resistant training programs that adapt to your exercise equipment, time demands, and fitness level. So let's say you can't make it to the gym today and you have zero equipment at home. AIM7 will adapt your program and build a personalized workout just for you in a few clicks. These programs were designed by AIM7's team of world-class sports scientists and physiologists, and they are tailored to your body and its unique needs. So whether your focus is toning up, gaining strength, or longevity, their data-driven and flexible solution will work for you. And for a limited time, you can try AIM7 for free for seven days and then pay just a dollar for your first month by using the code MENAIM7, all caps, on their website. Please use the link in the show notes as this special code only works on their site. So I want to talk a little bit more about codependency because you said personally you felt like you were to a point in your life where you were codependent. And I want to know how you moved through that season of life, but also um, maybe what are some signs for listeners that maybe don't realize they're being codependent? Sure. I, I didn't have a word for codependency. I just knew that I felt guilty taking care of myself. I would feel anxious when I didn't hear back from somebody right away. I didn't know how to feel my feelings. I Anytime my husband or my firstborn was upset, I would be upset. So I was very good at mirroring their emotions. I wasn't able to stay regulated myself. You know, I didn't have boundaries. But again, I didn't have words for this. And so in early sobriety, I ended up one of my ways of coping, you know, over the years was drinking and drugs. And so when I got sober, I came across a book called Codependent No More by Melody Beattie, and it changed my life. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what this is. And I didn't feel alone anymore. The shame started to fall away. And 
Um, and then I, I, you know, this has been 10 years now. I started this journey of like unpacking what that is and how these patterns were how I was taught to love others. And I carried it with me into my marriage and into my parenting. And so, yeah, those are the, some of the signs. Um, I lied to myself often about, you know, believing that, you know, oh, I'm the helpful one. I'm the overly sensitive one. I'm the uh, responsible one. I would tell myself these things because I didn't actually know how to say no, or I didn't know how to sit in the discomfort of letting other people handle their problems. I would time and time again, insert myself because that was the role I was so used to playing in all of my early relationships. And what happened was I almost got like smacked in the face by this reality that I had no self-worth and I was allowing people to mistreat me because I was mistreating me. You know, I was justifying it and I was perpetuating it. And it distances us, you know, if you have a higher power for me, that's God. I realized that, you know, I was working so hard to earn people's love, to rescue and save them. But according to my faith, Jesus came to save us. And so for me, I had to walk through those steps of detaching from that role I was so used to playing. And sometimes it meant just sitting on my hands when like an email would come through or a call. I mean, something as literal as like, no, I cannot help again today. And over the course of 10 years, that's gotten progressively better and easier, but it took a lot of time. Yes, absolutely. No, I appreciate you sharing those signs. I'm curious though, on the flip side, wonder if we are someone that we're noticing our spouse is being codependent on us. I mean, is there a way we can encourage them? What does that even look like? That is such a great question. And I'll share with you, I've been on like quite a few podcasts and I haven't got that one. So thank you for for thinking of that. You know, when we see somebody being codependent that we care about, it's extremely contagious. And I've shared about this in social media because I came across friends. So here I am doing the work. I'm setting boundaries. I'm learning to break free from codependency, but I'm seeing codependency in people around me. And it's actually partially triggering and also very contagious. So take, for example, you have a girlfriend, right? We have like mom friends and they are you know, over like needy or they like they need you to help them decide on everything. That's a codependent sign. Like they are unable to make a choice and it, and it can suck the life out of that friendship or with a partner, you know, like he's timid on everything or he like when you're upset and you want to come home and talk about how you've had a rough day, you can tell that he's like consuming that, like it's becoming him. And this is why codependency can really rob our relationships of joy. Um, but I would just say if you have a friend or a spouse or a family member who you were like, oh man, they are like, they are suffering because I can see it in them because it was in me. I think that the biggest thing that we can help people with is by modeling these boundaries. So in that relationship, you know, not gossiping. That's big in the women's circles. You know, I'm not going to bash my husband in this moment, you know, and over time, what will happen is they'll either go about their way in codependency because they're no longer getting what they need from you in that relationship, or they'll slowly start to have permission for themselves to honor these limits because that's really what it is. You know, boundaries are the antidote to living codependently. And so whether it's emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, you know, it's not our job to help them become less codependent, but by us being less codependent in our lives, we can influence those that we care about. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad I asked a question that you hadn't heard before. It was a great question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm glad. No, it was, and I'm very passionate about that because, um, again, it's something that's not really talked about enough. Like, okay, here I am doing this, this, these new things in my relationships, but I'm realizing there's people around me that are still really, really suffering inside codependency. And it can almost like bring out anger in you of like, don't you know how to say no? Don't you know how to physically take care of yourself? Don't you know how to not spread yourself thin? Don't you know how to not, you know, need me for every decision that you have to make? And, um, and I, you know, I write about it in the book as well of walking through that and realizing, wow, there's another layer that I have to peel back. So great question. Um, okay, quickly, I want to talk about, you said one of the ways that we can influence others is through setting boundaries. We hear the word boundaries often, but why is it so hard to set boundaries? Because you can say that until you're blue in the face, but it doesn't make it any easier to actually enact, especially when people push and push and push. So why is it hard? Do you have any words of wisdom on how we can stick to it? I think the biggest reason why it's hard to set boundaries is because we're afraid to lose somebody we care about. And so at the core of all of us is this innate desire to connect. And what happens through that deprivation that I touched on earlier is we create and manufacture ways to connect, ways that like people-pleasing and codependency and performing and being this person to other people that we're really not created to be. And so setting boundaries means setting down those behaviors that no longer serve who we are and our relationships. We get this temporary payoff when we are a people-pleaser or when we're codependent because we get that instant gratification of staying connected with people we care about. But there's a control there. There's a manipulation there that, you know, we have to be willing to look at in ourselves. And so I think that setting boundaries for people means setting down that part that I'm responsible for, which is I keep showing up to serve you and save you because I love you, but yet I'm manipulating you. And then I'm blaming you because I feel unhappy. It's like a very nasty web that we weave. And setting boundaries helps us get out of that. And it helps us unhook the person that we care about from our happiness you know, for being responsible for that. And it also unhooks us from saying, hey, you have to cater to me in all of these ways. And what happens when we unhook each other and we start to set boundaries and we say, okay, this is where I end, you begin, we can then enjoy each other. That relationship now has breathing room. Like we're so afraid. I know you touch on like being a minimalist and we're so afraid of white space in our relationships, but white space is where the magic is. It's where we can get to know each other and love each other and be curious about each other. And, you know, I think um, – and that's that's at the core. of We think, well, I will lose you if I say this, if I say no. But the reality is that a relationship without healthy boundaries is no relationship at all. Absolutely. Um, I feel like there's so many different paths that we can go – dive deeper into, but I might save that and just have you back because I feel like there's a lot we could honestly deep dive into here. But what would be one final word of encouragement for listeners just to kind of maybe bow tie this conversation? One word of encouragement. I think it would just be that you have the permission to change. You know, that every day is a new day and to be encouraged that we can learn new things, that patterns are practiced. And so if anything today felt discouraging, like, oh, that's me, know that your brain can be rewired, that you can show up differently and you have permission to change at any moment. 
and that your relationships will be blessed by that. Absolutely. Oh, I just, I thought of one more question. I might leave it here at the end. I think a lot of us are hesitant to change because of what our family members might think. So if we find ourselves in a separation from our spouse, or we have to end a relationship with a friend or put boundaries up in a familial relationship, I think the way that people perceive us and the outside appearance can really drive us to not make any change because we're too embarrassed or we're too ashamed. So do you have any words of wisdom for that? You know, it's, I spent many years living out the expectations that people had placed on my life, and it was extremely painful to no longer do that. And I had to disappoint some people and even hurt some people. I mean, honestly, that's that's the scariest, hardest part. But in the book, I write about picking your pain. You know, we are living in pain when we're being dishonest and inauthentic in our relationships. When you're a people pleaser, you're codependent, you're actually lying. And that's we have to say that because it's true. You're not being who you are created to be. Um, but I think that getting better at disappointing those we love in order to be who we're called to be is an important component to it. And also knowing that, you know, anything new, any type of change is a disruption you know, any, you think about when you're sick, your body is disrupted, your family's disrupted, your sleep is disrupted, but then all of a sudden it starts to dissipate. That's what I want listeners to think about is there's going to be a disruption in the beginning. There's going to be friction in the beginning, but if you can just hang on long enough and stick to that new pattern of behavior on the other side of that is something really, really good. And I, I wish I would have known that. I wish I would have known that the pain was that kind of pain is worth it. Um, but I want readers to know that that's why I write about it. I, there's a whole section on picking your pain in, in the book because relationships are uncomfortable and sometimes painful regardless. But I think that we have to do that hard, good pain. We have to pick that kind of pain. Yeah. Choose your heart. And I think the thing is time is going to pass anyways. And so do you want to stay stagnant or do you want to change? And it's okay to change your mind and it's okay to grow and say, maybe I wasn't right here, or maybe I've looked foolish for too long, or maybe I thought I was being strong, but actually staying in the situation was an example of my weakness. And that's okay. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to, we're flawed humans. None of us are doing, this is our first time living. Every person is living for the first time. So I think we just have to give ourselves some grace and say, I just don't want to do what I've been doing. Let's turn around. Our relationships, if you're sitting here listening today and you say, wow, I am anxious. I am overwhelmed. I'm burdened daily. I feel like sometimes I can't breathe. I'm not eating well. I'm not sleeping well. You know, that was part of the, I didn't share about my testimony is like my body was shutting down long before I knew what was going on. And I was running myself into the ground. But what I didn't realize is that's not why we were created to be in relationships that relationships can grow us. There can be difficult moments in relationships, but that's not the same as destructive relationships. And it doesn't have to be that hard and that unhappy and that un you know, there there's moments, but it doesn't have to be, you know, these long drawn out seasons and that there can be really great relationships out there for us if we're willing to do our part. Well, Courtney, this was awesome. Where can listeners grab a copy of this new book or connect with you online if they want to do so? My website is CourtneyJBerg.com and so is my social media handles. And then the 
book Loyal to a Fall is available, I believe, on Target, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. If you have a small bookstore, go give them some love. <laughs> Tell them to order some. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you the two questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is, what has been a beneficial resource in your life that you want to share with the listeners? And it doesn't have to be in relation to what we've been talking about. Oh, does it have to be like a prod, like a like a book? It can be a book. People have said documentary. Yeah. Uh, can it be coffee? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I had four young kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can it be coffee? Okay, that's my pick. <laughs> Do you have a um, type of coffee that you like or what do you what do you drink? I just – it has to be like strong and like lukewarm is even fine. I've gotten so used to lukewarm. Like I put it down somewhere. I spilt it yesterday. It's like such an analogy of life. You ever have like a little bit left in your coffee cup and you think like it's not – a big I mean I dropped it in my hallway and it just splatters everywhere and I'm like we think that those little things that don't matter they can make a mess yeah absolutely <laughs> but no I don't have a uh, I'm into like this pumpkin creamer right now and then December 1st I'll switch over to it's probably really unhealthy but like a peppermint one yeah 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 we have a local coffee shop in Columbus called Stoffs and they grind they make their own beans there, but they have all these different flavored coffees. So I'm not a big, co I don't like anything in my coffee. I drink it black, but the taste of the beans with the hazelnut or the peppermint or whatever, fill in the blank. They have one that's like winter wonderland. I will be buying myself a bag of beans there. I need you to ship me something. My Dave, my team member, he's trying to get me on like, because I buy in bulk from, I'll just be straight up. I buy in bulk from Costco. It's like this organic bean, but it's probably not the best for me. And he's into like roasting and like small batches. And I'm like, Dave, th there's not enough small batches for this tired mom. So <laughs> you can actually, I think, buy it off the website. I'm looking it up right now. They, again, their coffee is so good. Oh. Support local business. Your listeners are like, wow, I wasn't expecting all this coffee talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, my last question is what is something you can't stop talking about? This book. Not just because I wrote it, but honestly, I got – so you're the first one that I – this is the first book like ever. I know you people listening can't see it, but I'm reading my own book and it's just – honestly, it's a gift even to me. So I can't stop talking about it. I'm so excited. It's my fifth child I'm so proud of it. I'm so grateful God let me be a part of it. And it um, it's just the greatest. Th it's the, like my early Christmas present to myself right now. I can't stop talking about it. No, I can't wait for listeners to grab a copy. Again, the book is Loyal to a Fault, How to Establish New Patterns When Loving Others Has Left You Hurting. So Courtney, thanks for sharing with us today. And I appreciate you joining me. Thanks, Diane. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.